This is Cinema Degeneration. If I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, I feel that man has ruled this world as a stumbling, demented child king long enough. And as his empire crumbles, my precious black widow shall rise as his most fitting successor. I'm Frederick Lawrence. I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. The mark of Satan is upon them. They must hang. And now for you, Bartholomew, my beloved brother, while you are still alive, my ultimate device of torture. Now he must die. The Dr. Death that we created, he must die. I am not afraid. There is always room for more in the coffin of time. The instinct is alive within me. And you, Dr. Death, are you afraid? No. No, you're going home. Come. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. The tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie. to my party in the house on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. So won't you join me in the house on Haunted Hill? Hooray. Or you'll be late for your own funeral. Alrighty, folks. Welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Vincent Price Appreciation Month. And we have a quite interesting guest with us this evening, or I should say this morning, because it's in the wee hours of the a.m. Uh, I have invited my lovely wife, Patty Scott, to join us for this festivities. How are we doing this morning, hon? We are fabulous. I would say there's nothing better than doing a husband-wife review of House on Haunted Hill with the dynamics that they have together. <laughs> yeah, when there's a, a long diatribe in the middle about the husbands and wives killing each other and uh, all the opportunities they have to do so. <laughs> Oh, honey, you're so amusing. <laughs> oh, and I hope she was. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yes, concerning the subject matter, I think this is a perfect movie for us to do. And as I know it, uh, I know all the people at home uh, listening at home probably don't know, this is your favorite Vincent Price movie, is it not? Oh, this is definitely my favorite Vincent Price movie. I love this movie. Um, ironically, I was introduced to this movie... Um, with the sequel first, um, I, I wasn't exposed to a lot of horror movies when I was little. 
Um, but when I kind of grew up and was a teenager, there was when the remake came out um, and I was like, oh, this is a cool movie. And I had a friend say, oh, well, you know, it, it's, you know, kind of compared it to the original. And I was like, oh, there's an original to this. Um, and I saw this original and, oh, I just fell in love with it and fell in love with with Vincent Price. So was this the first Vincent Price movie you ever saw? I think so. I think so. Uh, what a way to start off. <laughs> yeah, I was hooked ever since. Yeah, I I think my first uh, Vincent Price movie was uh, The Fly. It was either The Fly or The Return of the Fly on good old Svengoolie back in the day, back in the, the early 80s. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's with any Vincent Price movie, there's not really a bad introduction movie for him, so... Oh no, no, no! Even even his worst movies still have a, a great performance by him. I always said he's a man that was always performance guaranteed. Absolutely, yeah. He he was a master, and as soon as he walked on the screen, he just commanded whatever movie or scene he was in. Yeah, it didn't matter what else was going on or who else was on camera with him. It was just like, oh, the man is here. Let's let's be quiet and let him do his thing. <laughs> <laughs> but this would be the second movie. Uh, uh, not the second, but one of two movies that he did by William Castle uh, that were directed by William Castle, who, you know, if those of you at home who don't know who William Castle is, you, it's, uh, I suggest you pause the podcast go, and go and educate yourself on Google or somewhere. Because <laughs> the man was legendary. He did uh, The Old Dark House, Straight Jacket, the, this movie, Project X, uh, Mr. Sardonicus, which is a, a favorite of mine, 13 Ghosts, and another one by uh, that also had Vincent Price in it, The Tingler, which is another favorite of mine. And oh, yeah. His movies always had, you know, not, not always, but, you know, there was a period of time in the late, late 50s through the early to mid-60s where his movies always seemed to have a gimmick. There was always a gimmick, you know, in The Tingler... There was, you know, he would uh, have little apparatuses that would uh, give people shocks in the seats. And then this movie was no different. It had a gimmick as well. Yeah, this one, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I think Castle had called it a Murgo in the theaters. Um, and so it's it appears towards the end of the film. So spoiler alerts for anybody that hasn't seen this. Um, also, if you haven't seen this, shame on you go watch it immediately um but at the at the end of the film there's this skeleton that rises from this vat of acid and in the theaters there would be this lighted plastic skeleton on a wire that would appear <laughs> from this black box that was next to the screen and it would just swoop over all the heads of the audience members um and then kind of it would swoop over and then the skeleton would be pulled back into the box um and kind of reel the skeleton back in from there um and i had had heard and read somewhere that they had to stop doing some of the skeleton gags in the theaters because some of the uh people going to the movies would come prepared because they had heard of the gag and would bring slingshots or rocks or other things to try to throw <laughs> and knock the skeleton off the the track before the end of the movie Yes, and uh, still to this day, um, they still several um, you know modern kind of theaters. Every once in a while, when they do reshowings and uh, rescreenings of this movie, uh, including uh, at the Film Forum in the Jersey Theater, have hosted revival screenings of this, and they still use the Emergo gimmick. Uh, they re recreated oh. it and do the live live action of the skeleton coming back and forth, which I think is just absolutely fantastic and i wish a, a theater closer to us one would host something to that because i would be there every night yeah i i think it's a shame that castle gets such flack for some of the gimmicks because i think had i been a theater goer in the 50s i think that would have been such a cool experience to be a part of and to have oh i think so too i mean it, it was a way to get butts in seats you know it was get people in you know uh interactive kind of way of enjoying the movie aside from just sitting there exactly yeah. but that being said uh, we got a little bit of the trivia out of the way here let's go ahead and get into the meat and potatoes of the movie but as first as always we got to give the quick imdb synopsis which is as follows house of haunted hill 1959 a millionaire offers ten thousand dollars to five people who agree to be locked up in a large spooky rented house overnight with him and his wife 
And I feel like that's fair, but that is just kind of the that is just kind of the tip of the iceberg here with this movie. Uh, yeah. It starts off. It starts off like an old like with the the opening with the screaming and all the haunted sounds. It it starts off like one of those old Halloween, old timey you know Halloween party records. Yeah, I, I think it's such a neat start because the screen is black. There's nothing on it. And you can just hear these sounds of screams and, and kind of the, the ambiance that they're setting up. Um, but you don't know quite what you're in store for yet. And I really like that idea of just that opening in darkness. And then, of course, the, the Vincent Price intro is Frederick Lord. Like, you know, there'll be food and drink and ghosts and maybe a few murders and you're all invited. It's just, you know, he was so elegantly evil in this movie. Yeah. It this this opening monologue from him too starts with the the running banter between he and his wife. And I think that's one of my favorite parts of the movie itself is, you know, he he introduces this as this is a party that I've rented for my wife and it's her party and she's just so amusing. Um and it's it's really a Something that I enjoy watching, just a, a volleyball tournament of him tossing it to her <laughs> and she just tosses it right back to him. And it's just such a great, a great banter. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to comment on, too, is as Vincent Price's head pops up, we now have these kind of floating heads. We In the background, we see the house that comes up. And so for for any of the the people out there that love a good Frank Lloyd Wright house like I do, um, that's one of the the houses that we see is the Enos house that shows up in the background, which yes. has been in a ridiculous amount of movies. Um, so I think some of the other kind of big ones are it's been in Blade Runner, um, in Twin Peaks, in like the Rush Hour movies, the Predator movies, Karate Kid movies, um, that it's they're just so iconic. And so I think it also just sets up that we're going to be in a in a delightful place for the next hour and a half. It's a beautiful location, and they only use it for exteriors only. Everything else was sets. But, you know, the, the, the sets, you know, are, are beautiful as well. I think they're very elegant and very fitting. It, it almost feels like the house is like one big maze. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a it's a house that you can easily get lost in. You know, there's all kinds of doors, there's closets, there's all kinds of connections that um, as the movie goes on, we start to see some of the layout of the house, but it still remains quite a mystery. Yes, but the one thing that is no mystery is something that you've already touched base on is the uh, animosity between Frederick Lauren and his wife, Annabelle. Um, I think Carol Omart, who plays uh, his wife in this movie, deserves every bit as much as uh, credit to making this movie work as Vincent Price does, because the give and take, like you said, it is. It's like a volleyball tournament or badminton. They're just serving back and forth. There's like one zinger another zinger just way back and forth and it's it's fun to just watch these two people who you wonder if like they ever loved each other or if, if it would just started off as mutual distaste and grew into this uh ever loving hatred you know between the two of them and i think that's part of the question the movie wants you to ask is you know so the the movie talks at one point that this is his fourth marriage she is the fourth wife um, and we also know that he's just bloated, that he is just this multimillionaire. Um, so especially thinking for the 50s time, like that's a significant amount of money. And so the question then begs, you know, was this a marriage of convenience? Was this a, a gold digger kind of situation or kind of what what is happening here that's led this couple to where they're at? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's. It's a question I ask myself every time, and I always come up with different answers every time because it just I kind of flip flop almost like they do, you know. And in a way, they they seem loving for about a half a second, and then it's just a zinger, and it's just like, like for instance, we're, we're jumping a little bit ahead here, but when they're getting ready for the party and the guests have already showed up, and uh, Vincent Price is like unwrapping a bottle of champagne upstairs in his wife's room, and then she's kind of primping her her hair and getting her makeup done, and. He, you know, shakes it up and, and uh, she says, you know, you always do that. It's not like it's going to explode, but he, then he aims it at her like a gun and he's like, you know, will it? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. maybe if my aim is just right. And it's just, 
It's like during one part, I can't remember which scene it was, but when uh, he he makes a remark about being poisoned. I think you remember the scene. Oh, yeah. And she laughs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just... He, he talk, talks about the time of, oh, do you remember that time when you poisoned me? Um, and she just lets out like this this belly laugh of like, no, no, the doctor said that was just food poisoning. Um, <laughs> but it. It's it's clear this has been a game that's happened between them many a time. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I did want to say I wanted to to go back a little bit just to the the beginning of when these characters are introduced. Um the the idea of okay, you're going to set up this party. We know there's something sinister kind of going on in the party, but so you you invite this group of strangers to this home, but you're going to send them to be picked up in funeral cars to be delivered <laughs> to your home. I think it's just such a beautiful touch of like, these motherfuckers should have known what they were getting into when they're like, oh, you have a hearse come to pick you up to go to this party? Like, okay, maybe that should send up a red flag. <laughs> yeah. There's something going on. Right, right. There's a funeral procession taking you to this party. And, you know, and there's already... You know, allegations that, that that there's been murders that's happened there and, you know, ghosts on the premises. And, you know, we have the the part of the introduction is the, the character Eli, uh, Elisha Cook plays, uh, Watson mm. Pritch, Pritchard, you know, who is the guy who owns the place. And he said he had only spent one night in the house, you know, himself, and he was almost killed. And <laughs> his, uh, I think it said that his... There have been six murders or five murders that had happened at, at that house, one of them including his brother. But he still goes back anyway. He rents the house to to the Lorens. And <laughs> like, why would it, why would you go back? Ten thousand dollars was a lot of money in fifty-nine. But I think uh, I actually wrote down that it translated that ten thousand dollars in fifty-nine translates to ninety-two thousand in twenty twenty-two. Which is still a shit ton of money, right? So I, I think that's part of it, too, is he is just this obscenely wealthy man, and he is just preying on people that are just so desperately in need of money that they're willing to put themselves in these situations for $100,000. I mean, I let's be real. Like, if you had somebody tell me, like, hey, do you want to go stay in this ghost house for one night for $100,000? I'd be like, okay, where where do I have to sign to be able to do that? <laughs> right. Uh, but when you get picked up in funeral funeral cars, is this kind of, nah, like you said, red flag. But, you yeah. know, when you're desperate for money, and, I guess that overrides any kind of fear you might or might not have. Well, and I, I think we'll, we'll kind of talk as as the movie goes on too but he also is not forthcoming with them as to what the rules of the game are so we we hear as as the characters or kind of the party guests are starting to chat with one another they're talking about like oh well he didn't tell me that part of it or he said that they're what i would have to come but he didn't say i would have to stay for the night or you know he just told me the money <laughs> and so all of them were getting kind of these snippets to what this party was going to entail, but none of them really fully knew the commitment until they got there and it was more fully described by Frederick. Right. And I think it also, uh, you know, bears mentioning that these people don't know each other. They don't know, you know, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see. They don't, you know, know each other. They've never met. So they're all, you know, strangers. And so then when they get there, they're all just like, you know, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? Like, no, nah, I have no idea what, the, like, I've never even, most of them have not even met Mr. Lauren, even uh, the character that, that uh, uh, Nora Manning, she works for him in a secretarial kind of way, you know, is in, in a department of his business, but she's never met him. He's a very elusive character. And, and he talks when, when Frederick and his wife are kind of talking before the party as they're getting ready for the guests to arrive, that he has very specifically curated this group of people um, because he wanted to see reactions. He wanted to develop uh, a kind of feeling that the party would have. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, when I, when I hear and think about that, I start thinking of just how, 
long and in-depth the the two of them had thought and planned on it. it almost like picking a jury right so it's the idea of okay if i put this person in my jury or in this party is this person going to give me the outcome that i want right right and i, I love when they get there the first things that happen doors start closing on their own chandelier falls and almost kills uh i think it was the ruth bridges character that julie mission mm. plays you know it's like so already stuff's starting to go a little wonky and you know pritchard is he's he plays a really he's, he's a really good character i think he's kind of like the harbinger of doom he's trying to tell yeah. everybody he's warning them he's like you know my brother was killed here there was a couple they killed each other and chopped each other up but they never found their heads so <laughs> I can't remember which character was said something. So there's just two loose heads floating around in here, which we will find out later that it, in, indeed at least one of them is floating around. <laughs> um, and of course, we always have to have the psychiatrist, right? And so I feel like I, I can't go without a movie without commenting about the psychiatrist. Um, and <laughs> they they had, had described him or, or Vincent in the, the voiceover had described him as just with a touch of greed around the mouth and eyes. Um, and so, it. so he brings the psychiatrist in to try to, I think, be, be kind of the gauge on the level of hysteria, particularly in Nora, but also in some of the other guests of just like what the feel for the party is and when they've officially reached that peak of hysteria. Oh, and, and Carolyn Craig is Nora Manning. She totally reaches several peaks and then shoots right over the edge of being hysterical. As we will find mm -hmm. out later, that that the very specifically trying to drive her in particular, in particular trying to drive her a, a little insane because it seems like all the the goings on, the ghost sightings, the different things that happened, all seem to center around her. Like they're the centralized uh, goings on are all like just targeting poor Nora and she is quite the screamer she you know never really did a oh, whole yeah. lot of uh you know horror movies and scare movies but she uh she ranks up there as one of the best scream queens there is even if this might be one of her only you know horror films but uh she had a set of pipes on her she you know we had to turn the volume down when she's on on, on screen <laughs> screaming <laughs> yeah you you can just feel her terror um she she does such a good job of just conveying that she is just scared shitless of being in there. Um, and, you know, as we'll learn, she tries to get out. She doesn't want to stay for the rest of this evening. Um, but uh, other people in the house have other plans for her. Oh, yes. And speaking of other plans, you know, let's let's talk about one of the previous guests at this house when they kind of go around and, and do a, a tour of the establishment. And, you know, uh, Pritchard just says, you know, somebody has died in nearly every room of the house. There's a wine cellar and there was a husband who was a wine connoisseur and his, mm. his and his wife created a, uh, a a vat in the bottom of the, the basement in this wine cellar that was filled with acid that is still to this day, you know, was supposed to be, I can't remember how many years before, is still a vat filled with, with acid, which, you know, Pritchard... Uh, proves by throwing a, a rat carcass he said it would take away every you know every molecule off of anything and dissolve it except for the bones so of course the, the the rat skeleton floats to the top these people are standing one standing awfully close to the edge of the, <laughs> uh, the edge of this bat i would be admiring it from a distance i'd be like you know good 20 yards away <laughs> yeah like who foreshadowing left, who left, yeah yeah foreshadowing I mean, who left the acid in the vat you know like and nobody would have like had this thing drained you know the the police and the authorities somebody wouldn't have been like hey this is a you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is a there's a tripping hazard here oh let's take care of it but no let's like leave the acid vat full <laughs> exactly i mean what good mansion doesn't have an acid vat just laying around for good purposes exactly yeah exactly you had to dispatch <laughs> your nemesis somehow right yeah. The the other really heavy dose of foreshadowing that I love in this movie is when uh Frederick and his wife are are in that room and again they're they're talking and I think those are some of my favorite parts of the movie is just the banter between the two of them. Um and you know he's letting her know that the guest 
to arrive and it's her party. She needs to be there. She needs to come down for this. Um, and she he makes the comment of, I hear hanging is uncomfortable in case you run out of ideas. Um, which, again, is a, a very heavy dose of foreshadowing of what we're going to see coming up. Yeah, I I love the scenes between um, Frederick and Annabelle. Uh, you know, uh, it's just such great banter. It just makes me just makes me all goose pimply all over. And this is where I got to ask, um, you know, do you have a favorite character? If, if it's not Vincent Price, do you, do you have a favorite character in this movie? It, it's absolutely Vincent Price. Um, That's I, the right I, answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a close second is his wife, though. I mean, I think I think without the two of them together and their banter, the movie wouldn't work nearly as well. Um, she is able to hold her own in the scenes with him, which is an impressive feat. Um, Cause you know, I've already mentioned, I feel like he just chews up any scenery that's around. Um, but he, he just has kind of an understated performance in this that is kind of unusual for Vincent Price. I think when most people think of Vincent Price, it's that just like the over the top, the just very kind of like flamboyantly, you know, yelly and screamy and over the top, just like crazy guy um yep. and in this he's very understated he's very calm cool collected he doesn't really you know you never see him really upset or concerned he's he's just playing chess he's just trying to yes. think of those moves ahead of what's happening and i think she's a great chess partner for him and so if i had to say i would probably say the relationship between the two of them is probably my favorite kind of quote character of it um but then he would be the close second yeah yeah i think think with without uh carol omar you know like as you put it playing chess against old vincent uh, it the dynamic just wouldn't work and she she gives just as much as she takes from him you know and and i love the you know when she he's constantly trying to get her to come down to the party the first 15 minutes of the movie is uh, just her kind of primping her hair and getting dressed and everything but she's like no i'm not coming down and it's the only time he really ever gets forceful with her. He grabs her by the hair and he's like, are you going now? And she's like, no. And he kind of tugs on her hair a bit more. And he's like, how about now? And she's like, oh, all right. Damn just, you. You kind of feel like they've, they've been through this, this game before. And he just, he finds it so amusing. And he uses that term to describe his wife several times. It's like, oh, she's so amusing. It's, it's this like a cat playing with a mouse. Yeah. And it's, I, I think one of my favorite other lines from her in the movie is when she is talking to the pilot and that's how she describes him of this is his party and oh, he's just so amusing. And so both of them, I think it's just this understated admiration that they have for each other and kind of the wit and the, the chess playing ability the other one has of like, okay, I see what they did there. Uh, let me see if I have a move to counter that. Right, right. And it, it kind of feels like they've been playing this game of chess for years and each one of them are ahead of the game. Like they each are anticipating each other's moves. So nobody's ever no, nobody's ever quite won until until we get uh, really deep into this movie. And speaking yep. of the pilot, uh, Lance Schroeder, played by Richard Long, he's really good in it. He kind of plays uh, the sort of the alpha male who takes charge of the, the party goers, you know, and uh, he's a uh, very condescending to pretty much everybody, especially uh, Norm Manning. He's very just uh, mansplaining. Know. Yeah, mansplaining is is the term. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> He's just like he he blows everything off, even when you know the lights go out at one point and he gets thunked in the head. And one of the few times you see any kind of blood in this movie. You know, he's got a, the little complimentary cut above the above the eye, you know, with a little bit of blood. Yep. And, uh, you know, and when uh, Nora Manning sees her first, you know, apparition, well, what she thinks is an apparition, it looks like a, um, again, using air quotes here, a ghostly hag kind of apparition, which you actually find out is uh, Mrs. Slides, mm -hmm. who is played by Leona Anderson. She kind of plays uh, the, the one of the caretakers of the house, and she's blind, so they kind of mistake her for being a, a ghost. And then there's uh, Jonas, played by Howard Hoffman, who's very creepy when he grabs uh, Nora Manning and he tells her, you know, you must get out of here. You have no business being here. And it's just like, who the fuck are these people? Because they do just kind of pop up unexpectedly about, what, like 25, 30 minutes in. It's just like, who are these? What? What's yep. going on? Yeah, just all of a sudden they're there. 
you don't know how they got there or where they're going, but all of a sudden they're there. Um, and I think I think part of that is is just setting up that red herring of you know the ghosts in the house, but I think it also shows just the complexity of the house itself and just how how difficult it could be to find your way around or to navigate it, unless you're a caretaker who knows every nook and cranny and back hallway passageway that there is in the home to get around. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it is a good red herring. There are plenty of red herrings, and most of this movie is, to be quite honest, filled with red herrings, left and right, front and center. Yep. But uh, Frederick does finally force Annabelle to attend the party, and this is a point where he kind of, you know, well, Lenora is already freaked out because she's seen you know, the hag, you know, she's been accosted by Jonas. She's seen, you know, seen a, the, 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 what was it? The, um, the, the, the haunts in, in the, the head that was in her suitcase in her overnight bag, you know, she's ready to get yeah. out. She's ready. Just like, I don't want to be here. She's, t- she's trying to tell Lance, the pilot, I don't want anything to do with this. I want to leave just about the point where Frederick Lorne lays out the party rules is $10,000. You have to last until morning. You have to stay there the whole night. You'll be locked down once the caretakers leave. You can't leave until 8 a.m., but you have to live. You have to make it to the morning to get the $10,000. And he is very precise. He tells you, you know, if you die, you know, $10,000 will be given to your next of kin. If I die, you know, my estate will pay the bill. And if somebody else dies, the rest of the money, because there's $50,000 in total for the five guests, you know, the rest of the money be divvied up between, you know, the lot of you. Well, the caretakers leave in the middle of his speech and lock them in. So now they don't have a choice whether or not they want to stay and be a part of this. They have no choice but to stay. And I think this is this is just such a beautiful chess move from the wife, right? So we we kind of figure out later that you know, their goal is to drive poor Nora just crazy and to keep her there to to ultimately try to kill Vincent Price's character. And we can see at this point, Nora is saying, fuck you, I'm getting out of this house. And so I've always assumed that she is then going to the caretakers to say, hey, just go lock us in now. Because that was mm-hmm. obviously not Vincent Price's goal his goal was to give them the fair shake of if they wanted to stay or not and so then we see that this is likely the case that the caretakers are instructed to okay just lock them in now before anybody has the chance to leave yeah because frederick lauren uh vincent price's character he looks very surprised when they're locked in he had you know he's he wasn't prepared for this he was prepared i think to let anybody who didn't want to participate go mm-hmm. but but now, like, nobody has a choice. Uh, their hands have been forced. And, uh, <laughs> and this is when Nora really kind of, you know, lips out a little bit. And the doctor's like, would you like a sedative? I'm sorry, that's my young Frankenstein coming out. But, you know, would you like a <laughs> sedative? And it's just like this fucking doctor, this David Trent is just uh, very condescending. But we also will figure out here in just a little bit that he is very much a part of uh, the proceedings. He, he's a silent partner, if you will. Yeah. And I think, I mean, so so if we think of just what psychiatry was in the 1950s, like, okay, you have a woman who's slightly upset about something, let's sedate her, probably isn't that out of the norm, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately, yes. But like, yeah, where are the fainting couches when you need them, right? Um, but I think, yeah, we start to see that all of this is a bit more intentional than maybe we would have been led to believe so far in the movie. And something I kind of glossed over, I want to touch base on, is when uh, Frederick Lauren is laying out the party rules, he has a set of co- little tiny pint-sized coffins in front yes. of them, each filled with a loaded forty-five. Like, I think that... I, I I know I know that was like predetermined by them, but it's just like yes, let's lock these people in a house with a bunch of strangers, and you know this haunted where murders have have you know legitimately happened and taken place, and let's give give each of them a loaded forty five. Um, not, not not a good idea, Holmes. Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and I I think that's the beauty of it too. Of 
they know bad shit's going to happen. They're just hoping it's going to happen to the other one and not them. They're just, right. just trying to orchestrate it to make sure that, like, oh, I mean, yeah, we know these guns aren't going to do anything as as the the owner says to you. You know, it's not the guns aren't going to do anything to protect you from the ghosts, but it's going to be the other people at the party that you're really going to have to worry about. Yeah, it's kind of like, mm. and he's already said, as Frederick Lauren has already said, you know, if somebody doesn't make it, the rest of the money will be divvied up between you. So it's like, if anybody yep. has any murderous impulses, just say they couldn't walk away with 50 grand as opposed to 10. So, hmm. Exactly. Well, and I, I think the other part is, is that Frederick then gives his wife a gun in that too. And, and it's make, makes the comment to her of, you know, who knows, maybe you'll want to use this on me by the end of the night. Um, and I, I think one of the the little plays that I love is that she holds the gun up and it's facing his face and he's just like pushing the barrel of the gun away from him of like, oh, not yet though, honey, not yet. That's a little early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Witnesses, witnesses. If you're going to kill me, do it, <laughs> do it in private. <laughs> you know? yep. And he does it in such a nonchalant way, just like, oh, you know, how quaint, just don't. You know, not now, honey. I know you want to put a bullet between my eyes, but not here. Right. Not now. No. Got a headache, honey. Come on. Yeah. So then everybody kind of dispatches, you know, and kind of goes to their own rooms and goes to their own quote unquote devices. And uh, there's a, a, a moment here where you hear some screaming. And then what happens? Oh, Carol Omar does. Uh, Annabelle Lauren is found hanging in the in the hallway or at the top of the staircase and hanging from a rope the bit of yeah. foreshadowing had uh had, had paid off i think one thing that's important to to mention too before that point is that she takes the pilot aside and says hey i'm pretty sure my husband is planning this party to kill me and so right, you right. know if there's anything that seems a foul or a miss please know that you know i I have concerns that my life is in danger. So, you know, being the big, strong, manly man that you are, please come save me from anything that might happen. So then she shows up hanging from the ceiling. And like moments later. <laughs> like yeah. And the question then becomes like, oh, this, this doesn't necessarily seem that she could have hung herself in this manner. There was nothing, no chairs that she could have jumped off of, no kind of other anchorage points like what what is happening because she couldn't have done this herself she needed an accomplice to do this and right i think it's right after the scene i think it's just moments later where nora uh comes up to the the pilot lance and says that she was i can't remember where she said she was but she was in a dark room the, the room that went dark and someone tried strangler strangled her almost to the point where she passed out and died and but you know but then left left her there and you know she is adamant that it was mr lauren even though she didn't see anything she didn't mm -hmm. see anybody she was really really uh adamant that mr lauren just tried to strangle her so they're you know a couple of certain characters are playing uh lance and nora like like a like a fiddle yes yeah this is very well orchestrated um and you know, so so you start to hear them them talking, and um, I think one of the things I, I really like that happened shortly after this is, you know, Nora is then going in her room to try and hide and just get away from all of these crazy people and the things that are happening, and they're really trying to keep her, you know, away from others because they think she's just freaking out. But so they're like, okay, you really shouldn't be alone right now. I'm going to go let you freshen up all by yourself and all alone. And I'm going to go leave and get out the door. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just such a, a, a testament to kind of what the plan is. Like you shouldn't be alone, but there's no way I'm going to keep around or stay near you because that's not part <laughs> of the plan. Right. Right. It's like, you shouldn't be alone right now, but here I'm going to lock you alone, isolated in this room by yourself. Stay safe. You got a gun. You're good. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And what I and just I, what you need is a hysterical woman with a gun. Yeah, who's seeing ghosts. <laughs> yeah, who's seeing ghosts. Yeah, that doesn't seem like smart uh, strategy, but you know, it will pay off. Uh, <laughs> speaking of paying off, I think it's the final chess move, at least for the moment, between Frederick and Annabelle. When you know they 
lay Anna, Annabelle in her room on, on her bed. You know, she's obviously been quote unquote hanged. And Mr. Lauren is a stand there. Just, he's like, and I love the line. He's like, so beautiful, so cold, so greedy. It's just, it's just a great line. Like, he, you know, yes. he, he had to have the last word. He just had to have the last word. Yeah. And so, so when they're all in the living room talking about it then too, because you know, all of them suspect somebody involved in killing her. And they they turn the questioning towards Frederick and he says, well, yeah, but what husband at one time didn't want to kill his wife? Um, you know, yeah, and so yeah, he's he like, just, what, what married couple hasn't had thousands of opportunities to do it and not be caught? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, the animosity is not lost. Um, and he is very forthright and open to just how hostile of a relationship that it was at that point. Yeah, they, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't hide it because he's, yeah. at least at this point, innocent of any wrongdoing, at least so far. At least, well, I'm going to say as far as you know, right? As far as you know. Right. Yeah. So their their brilliant idea is to say, okay, let's all just go to our own separate rooms far away from each other with our guns. And first person to step out of your room is the killer. <laughs> yeah, and that the one because only the killer would be would be the guilty one, you know, the only the killer would leave his room. Which I mean, if I were trying to think of the best way to stay safe, I think it would be like, okay, everybody stay in this room, nobody leaves. Yeah, right. I want eyes yeah. on everybody. Yeah, like butts and seats. You know, nobody yep. leaves. Uh, you don't leave my eye line, my eyesight for the rest of the night. You know, it, it's always a, a, you know, separate, divide and conquer. You know, if you divide the people up, you can you can bump them off one by one. <laughs> exactly. And Pritchard, Pritchard at, at this point, he's he's kind of, I wouldn't say as hysterical as Nora, but he has gone full blown into harbinger mode. Like he is, Pritchard in his defense has warned everyone that this is a bad place. And nobody listened to him. Yep. Yep. But, you know, Nobody's listened. I, I love the the moment when uh, Frederick goes to kind of view Annabelle's uh, body. And he, you know, he finds uh, Pritchard in there. He gets violent with mm. him. It's like the one time you really kind of see, you know, Vincent Price kind of go a little over the top as Frederick. He's like, you get out of here. You don't, you know, you have no business being here. What are you doing? And he, you know, physically manhandles Pritchard and throws him out. I think it's like the one time he kind of lets loose and, you know, kind of lets go of his uh, his calm and dis dismissive kind of demeanor. Yeah. Why do you think he reacted that way to him? What do you think it was that sent him over the edge in that? I think it was because he, he knew, I think he knew something was up. I don't know if he knew about uh, I don't know if we want to let this out of the bag yet, like who Annabelle was in cahoots with. I think he knew something mm -hmm. was up. And yeah. I don't I don't know if he believed that Annabelle was dead. He was just wait he was just waiting for the moment to strike. And I think at least in, in my mind he knew I think we can let it out of the bag because it, it, it does happen here in, in a few moments. You find out that it's, uh, Dr. Trent is kind of in on things. And yes. I think he he was waiting, you know, he if if Pritchard was in there he wouldn't have, you know, Frederick Lauren wouldn't have the uh, the opportunity to strike, if that makes sense. Yeah, the damn psychiatrist every yeah. time. So, so what did you think? Why did you think that uh, Pritchard was, or not Pritchard, but why Frederick kind of went off on Pritchard the way he did? Yeah, I, I think I think you you have kind of similar thoughts to I do. I think he knows this isn't the end of the tale. You know, she wouldn't go out like that. Um, that's that's not the end of the game. Um, and so I think he's he's still trying to piece together what's happening and who's involved and what that might mean. And I think he's suspicious of everybody. I don't think he necessarily believes that he was involved with that process, but knows that if he's in a room with her, that good things probably can't happen. Right, right. At least the plan, you know, won't unfold itself as it should if he's in there mucking up things. Yeah, because I he's kind of the wild card right so he's kind of the erratic one that's just saying like 
you know, like you said, kind of the harbinger of doom of, you know, bad things are happening, bad things are coming, but you don't, he doesn't really do much besides muck things up and get in the way. Right, right. And speaking of mucking things up and getting in the way, <laughs> when, when, when Nora has her vision and she sees uh, what she thinks is Annabelle as a ghost hovering outside uh. the, ho- the house, outside that window, and the rope is, that has hung around her neck is slowly slithering its way in through the window, down the hall towards Nora, wraps around her feet. She does nothing but stand there and, and like, don't just stand there. I'm like, fucking run. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yes. we, 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 there's a point where we need you to freak out and we need you to scream, but it's like, you know, man, if I, if I saw a ghost outside a window that, you know, somebody that had just hanged themselves and the rope was coming towards me, I would not stick around. I'd look at it for about a second and a half and I tip the fuck out stage left. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, and it's so eerily slow. It's not like it just quickly wraps around her either. I mean, it's, it's like a slow tentacle, just like slowly working its way around her feet that she's got plenty of time, like lift a foot up, man, like get him <laughs> off the ground. Yeah. Now, now this is where I got to ask for another, uh, uh, another question of mine. Because this is a great effect. I mean, this old school, you know, it's not like the effects of today. But do you have a favorite effect or uh, gimmick in this movie? It's so funny, the the timing of your questions. I promise we didn't plan this ahead of time, listeners. Um, this is actually my favorite, <laughs> favorite effect of it, too. Um, I think it's, you know, a lot of things that they, they'd have done previous to this was very, like, overhand scare tactic um and i think this was just like very slow and methodical um it gave her time to get out of that situation but it just shows just how paralyzed by fear she was um the only time it starts to speed up is when nora goes to grab the gun and then that's when you see the rope like go right out the window super quick and so for me, that that also is telling me, like, the wife is like, ooh, abort, abort. Like, I gotta, I gotta get the hell out of here. She's gonna shoot me. Um, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Yeah. But but I, I like the idea because you you heard in the beginning of the spiel about the house that the, the doors are stainless steel, that there's serious bars that are on the windows that you can't get out, you can't get back in. And somehow yeah, she manages mounted, to do uh, this. Yeah, because they're all mounted in solid stone. Everything's solid stone and solid steel in this place. Yeah, and so somehow we know that she does this. And I, I think that's the the cool part of, of, for me, thinking, even just as the character in the movie, how much fucking time and effort it must have taken her to orchestrate this in real life would have been just tremendous. It's kind of like a, a jigsaw-type moment. It's like, how long did they have to up those traps because it must have taken ages yeah and the, the but, only uh, thing yeah, that we're kind of alluded to before that is we see that there's a window open at one point and because we can see like the curtains blowing so we know there's something that's going to happen and that's going to go on and then it's this beautiful reveal of this which I, I just really enjoy um because then it shows it shows the pan of the house shortly after that scene too where you can see the bars on the windows mm-hmm. that that just haven't been disturbed now, I think it's not too long after this moment, after they get another scene of, you know, poor Norris, a good screamer, but, you know, very uh, hysterical. We got to lock her in her room again, is then we see uh, Dr. Trent going into Annabelle's uh, room, chamber, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he's like, oh, my dear, you know, the plan has almost worked. And then you see that she's actually breathing and she wakes up and it it's now all being kind of laid out that Dr. Trent is in on things with Annabelle to drive Nora to kill Frederick so that they can be together and absorb yeah, so, his, his, his millionaire empire. Yeah. So, so shortly before that though, the doctor goes to Vincent Price's room and says, Hey, I heard some noise, some bad shit's happening. We need to clear this house. And so he then sends Frederick down into the basement, down into that cellar, to see who he can find. And then he decides, oh, I'm going to take this upstairs. Um, and the doctor's mm-hmm, yeah, going to take fr- the upstairs to clear it himself, which is just to go get some lovey-lovey from the wife in the meantime. Yeah. It's, and to it's, send him on this death mission. Well, yeah, it's it's very, very intricate that he's like, you go downstairs, I'll I'll search up here. And, you know, he even says, you know, shouldn't, uh, Frederick Lawrence says, you know, shouldn't we uh, 
do this together, you know, safety and numbers. And he's like, no, he's like, we don't have time. And this is like somebody's mm. life could be in danger. Yes. Yeah. Like, mm, yeah, not not mine is what he's saying. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they lay everything out. Then you see that she's got uh, that Annabelle had a, a hanging harness underneath her dress that he helps her with some difficulty to get off. And, you know, it's like if we we if we get Nora crazy enough, she will kill, you know, Vincent Price. And then, you know, we got this all in the bag. And that's pretty much like exactly what uh, happens here in a, in a few moments. I mean, you know, Nora's down in, in the basement in the wine cellar, hysterical woman with a with a gun in her hand, you know, <laughs> being being haunted by ghosts. Frederick Lawrence shows up behind her. And I don't believe uh, he even had the gun pointed at her. I don't know if he had the gun in his pocket or if it was in his hand, but I do remember him kind of looking like she turns around, sees him, raises the gun, and he was just like, oh, no, like, you know, don't do this. And he, she shoots him once. He goes down seemingly dead. And you think that, the you know, everything's, you know, going to be all hunky-dory, that their plan that, that Trent and Annabelle's uh, – you know, plan had come to fruition because she goes running, screaming out of the room. The doctor shows up, starts rolling uh, and dragging uh, Vincent Price towards the vat, which he seemed to do with quite some ease because, you know, Vincent was well over six foot tall and a big, <laughs> big fella. He, he uh, yeah, he seemed to do that the greatest of ease. Yeah, I mean, Vincent Price is no slouch. I mean, just the the sheer muscle of trying to to drag a dead body of that size, I mean, would, would take some willpower. And he's just like, Lou, 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 doing <laughs> dead body stuff. It's fine. Um, yeah, without without much effort. Um, yeah, just I, that a good couple hundred pounds, a good 200 probably plus pounds of dead weight. You know, it just throws them around like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. And that's when we we see there's a bit of a twist, right? So he he gets him over to the, the vat of acid there. Um, and then all, all of a sudden the lights go out. Um, and we we just hear some scuffling and stuff that had happened. And then all of a sudden you you can hear bubbling, which you can kind of assume is from the vat of acid. Yeah, that at least that somebody is, is. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody has obviously been thrown into the vat, but you never, never see it. Yep. Oh, but this, oh. Poor Nora. They drove that poor girl batty in this movie. I'm, she's the real victim in, here in this, you know. Oh, absolutely she is, yeah. And, you know, but when out go the lights, and then we get uh, Annabelle shows up. There's nobody down there, neither Dr. Trent, neither her husband, uh, Frederick. And then and we get my, one of my favorite characters in the movie. I call him Skelly. Skelly the skeleton shows up. <laughs> And uh, I, I think it bears mentioning that the skeleton was credited as himself in the movie. Yes. This skeleton as 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 the skeleton. He has his own IMDb page, if you can believe that, folks. <laughs> and I, I oh, it's such a silly movie trope, but I think one of my favorite things of, of doing these reviews with you, honey, has been looking at just all the stupid credits and how cr people are credited. And this is really early on, like most movies this early didn't necessarily have a lot of those different credit tropes like that um so I, I just thought that was was great because the skeleton does play quite a key role in the movie yeah yeah and uh i i love the fact that you don't really know whether or not this is a real you know ghostly apparition or if this has been put on or what but it's uh yeah. it's all at gonna be point, revealed it, here in a moment yeah at this point there the movie is setting you up to believe that this is ghostly that the the ghosts of the house are now coming back to haunt this poor wife but soon right. we are to figure out oh that's not otherwise yeah yeah because you know as she's looking around as annabelle's looking around all there's like several points of entry in this basement several staircases and doorways the doors all start closing on their own and uh oh gosh it's just you know when she's starts seeing the skeleton come up out of the acid bath and starts chasing after her very slowly though you know just kind of creeping towards her chasing her to one end of the room and then chasing her backwards towards the uh the acid bath it, it's it's frightening you know it's still a very uh, an effective effect and try saying that 10 times fast you know <laughs> 
But when she's backing up and screaming, I think we got to mention is how great of a screamer Carol Omart is. And she would go on to prove this once again in in Spider Baby. She plays a character called Emily that has one hellacious scream. uh, Another great movie was Sid Haig that came out in 67, one of her only other uh, genre appearances. But when she's being crept backwards towards the acid bath, you know, she's not a good guy. She's not a good character. But you are kind of wanting to yell at her like, hey, you are backing towards the acid bath. Stay the fuck away. Yeah, acid bath. Yeah, and again, for for as deadly as an acid pit is, you think people would be a bit more mindful of it. Um, but I, I think that just shows just how terrified she was. You know, I think at this point, you know, she's under the assumption of it, ghost, ghost, whatever. Yeah, that's not really a scary thing. We're just using the idea of ghost to scare this poor woman into killing my husband. And then when she sees the skeleton rise, I think there's this this true fear that comes about that says oh shit this house really was haunted and i just killed my husband in a place where he's going to come back to haunt me um as opposed to that being the end of it and so i think it's just the the sheer terror that she isn't aware of her surroundings so that she is that close to the acid bath so when the, the skeleton keeps moving close enough towards her that the, all the skeleton has to do is just put a hand on her and it pushes her in to the, the acid bath. Yes, and I think it's also creepy that, you know, you think, you know, for a moment here that it's Frederick Lauren come back from the grave because he's like, you're not going to, you know, his voice starts coming out. And he's like, you come with me, murderous. You won't live long enough to enjoy my money. Yeah, and I, I think... The, the thing I really like about the end of this movie is, so, so you see her falling into this acid bath, you see the bubbles, and it cuts to black, and it just fades up with, like, panning around the room. And to me, like, it's at least the first time that I saw this movie, it seems like that's where the end is of, like, oh, the woman who was ultimately trying to kill her husband, you know, the twist is that, it, she killed him, but the ghost has now killed her in revenge. So then when when Vincent Price is revealed and he steps out of the shadows with that ventriloquist rig, it's just mm. such a powerful twist of like, oh shit, like that was all just orchestrated by him because he knew that that's what she was going to try to do. And it was just a, a mind-blowing kind of experience to see that first time. Yeah, when he steps out and he's got that rig and he's still just kind of working the crank and, you know, the the wires are kind of finally seen. And, ah, uh, yeah, it's 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 such a great reveal. Is this, He was the mastermind. He was always one step ahead of everybody. And I love when he's like, when he says, good night, doctor, and he, you know, and good night, Annabelle, and he throws the, uh, the skeleton in. He even says the crime you, you planned was indeed perfect, but the only... You know, only the victim is alive, but the murderers are not. Yeah. He and almost I, seemed like he regretted it, like, just a little bit, just slightly. Like, there was a tinge of regret, but he he was like, you know, he wasn't about to go quietly into that good night. The game's over, right? I mean, I, I think that's the, the sad part of nobody wants to see a good game like that end. Um, and, and it's the chess game's over. What do you, you know, you're, you've got to walk away from the the match now. Um, and I, th- I think that's, that's part of it. That's difficult. And so I think that that brings me to my, my favorite line. My favorite line in the movie is the, it's a pity that you didn't know when you started your game of murder that I was playing too. And I think that just so perfectly capsulates the, the, the feel of the movie of what's happening um, that I just, I just love it. Yeah. And he spells it all out for everybody else because really right now, the only people that have died is Annabelle and the doctor, you know, he, he tells them, he's like, you know, honey, you know, uh, to, to Nori, he's like, you didn't shoot anybody. I loaded your, you loaded your gun with blanks. They were going to murder me. And he's like, I just had to stay one step ahead of them. And it, it comes right after your favorite line is one of my favorite lines. And he's like, yes, I killed them both, and I'm ready for justice to decide if I'm guilty or innocent. And he just kind of walks, you know, just walks away, and just that—that's the end of it. And not really so much the end of it, um, 
we do get a little bit of an end with Pritchard kind of still doing his harbinger of doom because he believes the ghosts are still very real because you hear the moaning and the clinking of chains and things going on. And he There are nine yeah, now. There are nine now. And I love when he says, he's like, they're coming for me. And then the camera zooms in and he looks at looks right into the camera and he's like, and then they'll come for you. Yes. Yes. And then that slow pan out of out of the house as the doors close in front of us and you hear the chains rattling and the creepy laughter and it just fades to black. Oh, it's and just it, such a such a great movie. Oh. Yeah, like mwah, chef's kiss. I think I know where your rating is going to come in at. Um, I probably I probably don't have to act, but ask. But uh, for the the sake of the show, I got to ask you for your your final thoughts on House on Haunted Hill and a rating on a scale from one to ten. Absolutely, yeah. So I I just adore this movie. I think it is just such a a great character study. I mean, so so. Those of you that have have heard me on the show before know that I am a psychologist by trade, and so I I just love seeing how people interact in their environments and how people interacting with each other um, can bring about just such different thoughts and the 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 chess match that happens between the husband and wife in this movie is just so much fun for me to watch. Um, it's just such a battle of wits going back and forth of for their lives, really. I mean, they both know the other one is trying to kill the other and it's a matter of who's going to succeed first. And so the idea of just watching them go back and forth and to just both of them put on this elaborate party to mask as the ruse for them to kill each other (laughs) is just such a great backdrop for a movie. It's just so much fun. Um, and I, I just love watching it. Just the the dialogue in and of itself, I think, is is just monumental. And, and I just it makes me smile every time I watch it just because it, it's so good um, that I'm, I'm a full 10 out of 10 for this one. Uh, I got to agree with everything you said 100 percent, my dear. It's uh, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. This is quintessential price. Uh, quintessential William Castle and it's just classic and again I love that the whole time you know they're they're kind of they're playing you you know the the mm-hmm. filmmakers are and thinking that this is going to be a story about you know ghosts it's called the house on haunted hill you know and they even say in the beginning you know there'll be food and drink and ghosts but they you know they're kind of misleading you it's a good game of cat and mouse they're just like with the characters in the movie itself Frederick Lauren was misleading everybody. And it's mm-hmm. just like you, you, you've used the term, you know, as a good chess game, you know, and I, and I agree. It's like a good game of chess or battleship, you know, it's like just each person making their move between Frederick Lauren and Annabelle. It's a great thing to watch. And not many people could match in a game like that with uh, Vincent Price. So I think kudos goes to Carol, Carol Omar. She's a great... Great adversary for him, but not so great that she could pull one over on him. You know, she because you know he is the master, and nobody can nobody can. Uh, they might get a few punches in, but they're not going to get the TKO. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think this is uh, a beautifully made movie, classic. Uh, unfortunately, it went into public domain because uh, the uh, producers hadn't secured the copyright in the right way so there are a lot of really bad prints out there you know a lot of mo- versions that were put out, put out on, on dvd and vhs that look really really bad so i suggest if you really want to see a good version of it um there's a version on tubi tv that is really good not the colorized version because quite frankly fuck that don't watch the colorized version don't do that to yourself a movie <laughs> like this deserves to be watched in black and white or you can watch it like we did and watch it on Shutter, which they have an amazing HD, uh, just upscaled print of it that is just absolutely beautiful to watch. You can see every every beautiful speck of dust in this house. Every cobweb is, is yes. high def. It, it has never looked better. And plus, they also have a version of it hosted by Elvira, which... Which uh, which better way is there to watch this movie than to, as hosted by the, the Queen? Absolutely. Well, before we 
wrap this up, honey. I had one other thing I wanted to share that I hadn't heard you talk about, so I wanted to surprise you with it. Um, right. So the the music in this by Richard Kane is just wonderful. Um, but I didn't know, did you know there were originally lyrics that were recorded to the song first before they decided to get rid of the lyrics and just have the haunting sound? No, I did not. Yeah. I had no idea. So I, I wanted to read was the it, lyrics. Now, was it ever released with lyrics or it was it was just lyrics that they had written beforehand? So um, from what I had found, it said that it was originally written with the lyrics, but only the orchestral version was used. Okay. So whether there's a record of it someplace with it, I don't know. Um, but since it kind of gives away something in the movie, I, I didn't want to didn't want it to to talk about it until the end. So let me let me read the the couple lines of lyrics here that I thought were pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, so so I wanted to read the lyrics to you so you could hear them. So there's a house on haunted hill where everything's lonely and still, lonely and still, and the ghost of a sigh when we whispered goodbye lingers on and each night gives a heartbroken cry there's a house on haunted hill where love walked there's a strange silent chill strange silent chill there are memories that yearn for our hearts in return to a promise we failed to fulfill but we'll never go back no we'll never go back to the house on haunted hill nice i, and see, I, I had no idea that i had any kind of lyrics set to it that's interesting yeah so so what i really liked about it is that the lyrics themselves we're not ghost filled, you know, the the movie itself doesn't have a ghost in it. Um, and it's it's all about just that that love that's lost and kind of that heartbroken cries that are coming from the house. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a good little uh, bit of trivia there, babe. Good find. Good find. There you go. Yeah. Well, that being said, I think we'll put a pin in this one for the afternoon. Um, folks, you have been listening. Uh, to me and my wife, uh, Cameron Scott and Patty Scott, wax little philosophical and get nostalgic about the house on Haunted Hill. So um, if you're so inclined, you want to come to a ghost party? Why do you always do that? It spoils the champagne. It might explode. Never does. Would you guarantee that? That isn't funny, Frederick. Make a good headline, Playboy Kills Wife with Champagne Cork.